What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Today, we have a really awesome interview with Pablo Gonzalez, who is the CEO of Be The Stage and the host of the B2B Community Builder podcast. He's got a really rich background in community going through the nonprofit world. And now he's working with a lot of B2B companies, uh, a lot of small businesses and mid-sized businesses. We talk all about the kind of community and content flywheel, or what he calls the relationship flywheel, where you can create these live community experiences. You give your stage to experts within your community to be able to share their expertise with other members of the community. You capture that exchange And now you can turn that into content that you can use in articles and videos on YouTube, on TikTok, on different platforms. That content drives people to join the community, which could be a forum, a Facebook group, whatever. They go from that community to come and join your next live event, which becomes another opportunity to capture more content. And so the flywheel continues. He's got a really unique background and experience in community and just a really thoughtful person that that truly embodies community and And you can just hear it in his voice and how he thinks about these things and how much he cares about the work and the people that he gets to work with. So hope you all enjoy this episode filled with lots of good gems. And just remember, every subscription and every review helps us out in a huge way. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Drop us a review. It's a big help for making sure this podcast can reach more people. Appreciate you all. Let's dive in. Oh, and one more thing. Remember, we want to hear from you. It's always hard in podcasts to be broadcasting and not get to hear back from all of you, especially for community builders like you. I want to know, is this content resonating? Are you learning from it? What are your insights that you want to add? So please email us at pod at cmxhub.com and let us know what you thought of the episode. Share your own experiences, share your own insights, and we'll be picking some of your great responses to include in future episodes at the end of the episode. All right. So pod at cmxhub.com. Let us know what you think of this episode and you'll have the chance to be included in a future one. Thanks so much. Pablo, welcome to the show, man. David, it's really an honor to be here. I think I've said that before, but this is truly kind of a a pinch me moment to think that I'm on this conversation with you, man. So I'm really pumped to be here. Thank you. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, Very excited to chat, learn more about you and your world of community and your unique angle on community. Why don't we start with just share a little bit about background about yourself, about the B2B Community Builder Show, and how did you get your start in building community? Yeah, yeah. I'm the most American person in my family. So I've always kind of been marked by this like outsider, insider kind of feel. And my first formative memory is walking in a preschool in Miami, being the only kid that didn't speak English, right? And at that moment, there was one other kid, Jose Garrido, who became my BFF that spoke Spanish. And you're a sponge, so you learn English real quick. But then a year later, we moved to Spain 
And we enrolled in a British academy. And I walked in real cocky thinking I spoke both Spanish and English. And I went home crying again because I didn't understand either one of the British or the Spanish Spanish dialects. And that's always really marked me and made me somebody that wants to get people to belong. And I want to belong and I want others to belong, right? So started off as a really gregarious kid that could just talk to adults and could talk to anybody because that was my driving force. And as I grew older, it made me pretty persuasive. I kind of called myself like a 28-year-old Huck Finn at one point, right? Like, I, And it was all pretty selfish, right? Like it was always kind of like driven of like, how can I be the coolest guy in the room? And in my early 30s, I started my first company and it was a green building consulting company. And while I was doing that, I got this email from Habitat for Humanity saying, who wants to start a young professionals group for Habitat for Humanity? And I raised my hand and that started me down this other parallel path of civic engagement and nonprofit engagement. And it got me on the board of multiple charities at a certain point. And in my early 30s, I realized that my Ace Ventura stick had a shelf life <laughs> and that to truly continue to, you know, the most influential people in town are the, are the ones that, that are the most service oriented. And that's really what I wanted. And I wanted access and connections and stuff like that. So I started really trying to be really valuable to people. And that started working out real great for me. And at a certain, you know, when I turned right around 33, my older brother got sick with pancreatic cancer, had a two-year battle with that and passed. And at his at his funeral, 1,200 people showed up. And it was this like out-of-body experience of just seeing this like packed church, standing room only, people crowding in. And, and I looked back at the two years that we had suffered through all this stuff and all the things that people did for my family and that moment itself. And it just struck me right at the bottom of my core that no matter what I felt about the Catholic church, this was my community, right? And I was never going to be able to leave this because these are my people. And if something could help us so much in such a hardship, community is the greatest value that you can create for people. So I really just thinking that I want to be the most valuable person in town, that really hit, right? Like this, like, and the value is create communities. And I had been having all these reps of creating these different young professional groups for charities and getting on the boards of charities. And I was doing it in a very organic fashion. But the other thing that really hit me is the outpouring of support, right? Like that night and for like a solid three years after, everybody that reached out to me about that hit me up out of nowhere about my brother would tell me that my brother was this guy that when they would walk into a room and they saw that he was there, they knew that they'd be comfortable, right? They knew that he was making people get along and everybody felt like they belonged. And and it really struck me that as, you know, he was eight and a half years older than me. And it really, really hit me that for the majority of my life, I always gave my brother credit for being my biggest influence, but it was like the anti-North Star. It was like, oh yeah, Bert did this in college, so I don't want to do that because that was he messed that up, right? Or he got married young, I don't want to get married, right? Like it was always like what I didn't want to do to be like him. And it just, man, it, it really shook me to my core to think that the one thing that I value the most, that I really give myself credit the most, I never saw in him. And at that exact moment, I thought, who else am I not giving credit for? What else am I missing? And it just truly, truly struck me that the people around around you are more valuable than you give them credit for. No matter how much you know them, no matter how much you love them, they have more value to the people around you than you've possibly imagined. It's just kind of been my life mission from there on out. Then as I started seeking all that stuff, the reticular activator hit, I started leveraging my young professional groups to pull off events for developers in, in Miami that I wanted to do business with and put them on stage with a politician on the board of one of my charities. And that made me a business developer. And then after I got the chance to be a part of this like startup for Amazon sellers, the software for Amazon sellers and 
kind of jumped into a dumpster fire and I had to like reimagine everything that I was going to do and started doing these like Zoom events online for our biggest clients because I didn't want to lose them. And then I started realizing that if I took those events and put people together, but then also repurposed content to drive into like a Facebook group and an online community, then I solved our entire kind of like customer journey and go-to-market strategy. And then in 2019, I kind of, I just left and I start, I decided to jump off a cliff and build a plane on the way down and really just dedicate myself to all that and launch the podcast. And I went to a bunch of conferences and I did all this. And that's the origin story, right? Like it's that, that whole arc of knowing that I just can't be the funny guy my whole life to wanting to be the most valuable guy. My brother passing, learning that lesson and then just the reticular activator hitting over and over and over again until this has really become my life's work. There's a couple stories in there that definitely resonate. One is, it's a similar story to what I've heard on this podcast a lot, which is a lot of community builders come from a place in their past where they felt super isolated or alone and they felt that pain and made them super empathetic toward that pain to the extent that you can recognize it in other people and you get uncomfortable in a room if you see someone standing on their own, not feeling like they belong, right? You feel this like, oh, I have to do something to fix this. And I can definitely relate to all those things. And also just this idea of like influence and wanting to be someone who's influential. And I can relate to it as well throughout my 20s, just like my younger years of building, being an entrepreneur and building things. It was like for this idea of wanting to be this influential entrepreneur. But that learning, that true way to become influential is to just dedicate yourself to serving other people, to helping people. And the influence can come from that. doesn't always come from that, but it tends to come from doing that rather than making the influence the goal. The goal is helping people. The influence is a byproduct. 100%, man. 100%. And that's interesting you say that. Let me ask you something, right? You interview a bunch of people that are fascinated with community. Do they have that experience that they... Are they all people that instinctively value and have always wanted to be the guy that knows a guy or the girl that knows a girl, right? Like that really, that to me, I never questioned the value of that. That was always inherently kind of the archetype that I thought that I could be at my best. So I always kind of wanted to do that. I just thought it was by being as cool as freaking possible. And then I had to realize that I just had to be of service and I had to be valuable. No, a lot of community builders aren't like that. I am. That's how I was. And like, I was so like not cool early on that it just became this like chip on my shoulder that I'll show those people in high school that I'm cool and like, you know, became cool in my own ways and in social media. And like, honestly, I think in the last few years, even I've become much more kind of introspective and seeing how that drive and that pain that I felt early on is still influencing me in positive and negative ways. Yeah. But the positive ways, I always prided myself on knowing everybody. Like when I went from high school where I struggled to fit into college, I went in with this like social confidence because at towards the end of high school, I started to meet people outside of my high school and they thought I was cool. And I was like, oh, okay, like I'm not that terrible at this whole people thing. And so when I went to college, I went in with like a lot of social confidence. And in college, I really did pride myself on being the person that was like a part of every group. You know, it was never enough for me to be in one group. I didn't want just one group of friends. I wanted to like be the connector between all the other groups around me and be the person who's like waving to and saying hi to everybody as I walk through campus and kind of know everybody. And it was almost like a quantity thing, right? And I think I've shifted a lot more recently again to like just valuing more of my close friends and my family and my close network and not feeling like I need everyone to like me or be connected to everyone. 
But yeah. that's a lot of what drove me in some of my younger years. What changed for you that started getting you to value that inner circle and recognize that you do need to feed that inner circle some, right? Like what kind of change for you there? It's a good question. I mean, probably just succeeding at knowing everybody and yet still feeling unfulfilled, right? And like having a lot of those looser connections or weak ties. And then like when they disappear because they weren't really deeply rooted, then you're left with nothing again. That makes sense. Right? Like you think about college. I do have a few friends that I'm like, there's one in particular that I'm still really, really close with. But for the most part, like I don't talk that much to people that I went to college with. There's a lot of like really loose connections. So it didn't have that lasting impact that deeper relationships have. And I guess you learn that and you start to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I would say I had two kind of aha, like moments. When I was living in California, I had this roommate, this guy, Brian Rosenthal, a New York guy. And he was just like the nicest guy. I'd never met somebody so nice. (laughs) It still is. Like this guy in our early 20s would take his paid vacation and go volunteer for like a camp with kids with AIDS and stuff like that. Like I just didn't, that, that never was part of my like, anything in my awareness to be so giving. And I was just kind of an animal, man. Like I was a terrible roommate. I would just leave everything everywhere because I grew up kind of privileged and I really learned to be an adult, like in my thirties kind of thing. And there was one moment where I had just left, I'd left a pile of dishes that had like gnats and and he came home from a trip and he was really upset. I was like, Brian, I'm just going to get pay somebody to clean that thing later. He's like, you can't pay for this, man. It was this like idea that I could lose him as a friend because I was so self-centered that made me kind of start seeing outside of that and caring a little bit more. And then there was fast forward to, that was kind of like this like first kind of, man, I can't just continue to do that with people close to me, right? And just be so superficial with people close to me. You really got to dig in more and do the stuff that you don't just always want to do. And then there was another time in my early 30s where I went to this bachelor party in the Virgin Islands and we're out on this like boat bar thing, whatever. And I made a random friend at the bar and like all my best friends are together. And I'm like sitting there hanging out with these three new dudes. And I ended up going out and hanging out with them for like another two hours somewhere else. And I came back and everybody sat me down. They're like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> like all your best friends are here. Why are you hanging out with some randos? And I was like, yeah, yes. Mm. <laughs> you know, so that was kind of the beginning of it for me. And then since then, it's just been, I guess you get older, right? Like being married. Yeah. Part of it's just you get older. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I don't have that energy anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That too. Right. Like, so that's been it. But I remember those two moments were big aha moments. I was just like, ah, I really need to not value everybody equally. I need to kind of prioritize some people, period. Right. To some extent, I think it's also just like finding those relationships that are really healthy where I'm very fortunate now to have friends that are like family here in San Francisco that I only met randomly thanks to moving into an apartment that I found on Craigslist. So it wasn't like... Craigslist friends. These relationships that I deeply invested in from back in the day. Yeah. I still have a couple of those, but my closest friends today, yeah, it came through literally random on Craigslist. Yeah. But it's like the relationships I have today, I feel like are with people who value the relationship equally who are all investing in the relationship in meaningful ways. Like they're the type of people, at least in our relationship, that will show up for you when you don't expect it or when you don't ask for it. 
And in some ways, I think I just didn't find relationships like that until recently. And once you have that, you're like, oh, (laughs) that's what healthy relationships look like. And that's what truly being in community feels like. It's totally there's a definition I heard recently of community that I really like, which was a community is a group of people who are willing to make your problems their problems. That's good. And when I think about the communities I'm a part of in my friend groups and my family and stuff today, it's like it's a good gauge. Like, would these people step up and make my problems their problems, even if they don't have to? Yeah, it's a great gauge. But going back to your original question, I don't think that the experience you and I had is not what I see with all community builders. Like I said, I think all community builders have some background or experience of feeling isolated or left out or excluded. Yeah, But I don't get the vibe from a lot of community builders that they were like seeking coolness in the same way that maybe you and I were. Many of them are less extroverted. But I think the commonality is that empathy with the pain of isolation that makes them just really care about people and helping people and connecting people. And just like, I think the consistent thing, whether it's because you're trying to be cool or just because you feel that empathy, it's that dopamine hit, that joy that you get when you see people connect with each other. And especially in like a space that you helped facilitate and create and you see people form relationships or get support in a way they couldn't find it anywhere else. Like that to me is the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah. Amen to that, bro. For sure. So that brings us to today. So you had this whole kind of journey and now you're dedicating your life to community. Talk more about the work that you're doing today and the kinds of interviews that you're doing and how you're working with businesses to think through their community strategies. Uh, Yeah, man. So... Another big aha moment that came from being part of this nonprofit stuff and doing these things was, right, like the way that we would recruit young professionals to volunteer for stuff was that our meetings would be held at one of the board members' boardrooms of the the actual board members of the actual charity, right? Like I did this with four different charities. And the baited hook was, man, if you come and meet with us and plan these events and do these things, you get to meet this the CEO of Writer Corporation, the superintendent of schools of Miami, right? So they, they would come and hang out and they would give us a little bit of their time. And then after that interaction, we would plan the happy hour or the volunteer event or whatever, right? And being part of nonprofits just got me real good at like public speaking and walking into rooms and networking and stuff like that. And at one point, my consulting company got acquired by my biggest client, right? So I went in-house as director of sustainability for this hospital developer. And they kind of like, after about a year and a half of being like, wow, medical benefits and like a salary, I thought it was real cool. They kind of like threw me in a corner to die. And I kept wanting to just like up my game within them. And my CEO got invited to speak in front of the Economic Development Agency of Miami in front of a panel for about smart cities. And last minute decides he doesn't want to go with me. So he sends me in a study. And I show up. I do my thing and unbeknownst to me, I'm on a panel with like the head of Latin America for Cisco Systems (laughs) and the head of the Smart Cities Initiative of the World Bank and like lowly Pablo Gonzalez who thinks he's in a dead end of his career. But for the first time ever coming off a stage, seven, like there was a line of six people deep wanting to talk to me when I got off. And as I'm like cycling through, you know, like three of them were vendors trying to sell me something. Two guys were like, how do I get a guy like you to come work for me? And then like one other guy was this guy, (laughs) Will Beckham, that I'm still friends with. That's like, man, I'm interested in this stuff. I want you to mentor me. I was like, me mentor you. But what hit me was (laughs) that being on that stage provided this like extra level of validation Mm. and credibility and being guilty by association with people on on the stage exacerbated that, right? So I've essentially just continued to apply that trick. That's when I started doing these events with the developers. And then that's what I started kind of doing with this e-commerce company. Right. And I thought, 
with that church experience, I really started thinking, man, every, most communities have some form of a stage, right? Like there is a stage that creates this, like some kind of content, some kind of thing to gather around, right? Like where you speak about the mission and why you're all kind of like gathering together. There's an audience. And how can you replicate that over and over? And it was, I was like battling that stuff around in my head when you mentioned it before we started, right? Gary Vee kind of came into my universe late 2017. And I realized that what he's doing is the same stuff I was doing, but he is amplifying it all by content. And by making the first part of his presentations, keynote and the, and the majority of it, this Q&A stuff, he's getting all these like contextual points that allow people to, when he repurposes it, to connect with it, right? So like, if I see somebody that looks like me ask a question, I immediately connect with it more. If I see somebody that phrases it in the way that I would have asked a question, I would connect with it more. All these different like ways of repurposing the different things made me think that this is the way you scale it, right? Like this is the way that you scale relationship building and create these communities and go beyond the geographic boundary. So I started doing it, right? Like I started doing it for businesses. My first big client was this real estate investing company that they had this great culture. They had this great brand. They're the top of their industry as far as like turnkey rental income property investing. And they were looking for a way to just prove all that stuff to everybody at scale. And I said, listen, man, you can have this jinky webinar every week if you'd like, and you can have events every once in a while, or we can on a weekly basis, try to find somebody that would add value to your clientele in something that they want to know, right? Like people that are turnkey rental income property investors are looking for different types of investment classes. They're looking to know more about real estate. This happens to be in Jacksonville. So they're interested in the Jacksonville market, right? They want to know how you do what you do. And if we can create this cadence of bringing people on stage that you can be guilty by association with, be it customers of yours already that happen to be experts in some of this stuff, be it somebody in your network that's an expert in something in particular, or be it somebody in the city or somebody from your team that can provide this value of do it yourself and or understand this better so that you're more comfortable or you find your own solution and do this in a weekly basis where we're inviting his clientele to a Zoom webinar to talk to somebody that they otherwise wouldn't have met and drive the connection between not just him and the audience, but the audience and the guests and the audience to each other and then repurpose that stuff and turn that webinar into a one-hour YouTube show a uh, 10 best minutes YouTube short of like golden nugget, the audios, the podcast, the best moments become these like video vignettes that you see on Instagram and LinkedIn and whatever. The Q&A turns into Q&A content, answering a question that gets put on screen with the person's name that asked it. The best thing said turn into, into quote cards and the lessons learned turn into emails and SEO optimized blogs. And all the call to actions is join other people like you at these calls and in our Facebook group. Now we started this like flywheel turning of like all this great stuff that ended up leading to this community. And that's been the play, right? Like that's been the thing that I'm doing in my company. So again, I started my own podcast that used to be called the Chief Executive Connector, which was just a one-to-one interview. I've now changed it to this like live internet talk show format that I do every once in a while. And I'm executing these like internet talk shows with that whole system around it of like, value connections and content pillar kind of thing that we keep driving that I've called a relationship flywheel, which at the end of the day produces community at scale and drives revenue and drives pipeline velocity and drives like mass feedback for your product, right? Like it goes into all parts of the go-to-market motion because you're spending more time with people, right? Like the six, 16 or 60 people that show up to that call, 
all get an hour with you and you get an hour with them, but you're only spending one hour doing it. And that's just kind of been my one trick until I read your book and I realized there's like a million ways to do this stuff. (laughs) But that's what I'm doing. I'm essentially producing internet talk shows, but this whole methodology around it creates this relationship flywheel that drives the community on the back end. When I first started trying to sell it, I was like trying to sell community. And I realized that that isn't a Monday morning problem for most business owners. It's like, a yeah, that's a nice to have, right? But if I can drive relationships with their clients and marketing content and feedback for their products at all times, then they're in on getting the community too, right? So that's been the big wool I pull over everybody's eyes and it results in community. But what I'm selling is this like product that solves this more right. kind of like superficial pain that they initially have. Yeah. What you're touching on is a concept that I've heard a lot and learned a lot about in my career, which is just kind of like the value of repurposing content. Put simply, right? It's like you can have one event and from that event, you can generate conversations, Q&A. You could break out that content and turn it into smaller videos. You could turn it into articles. And so many companies don't take advantage of that. They create the one event and then they post the recording of that event and that's it when they could actually be generating a ton of really valuable content that's touching people in different ways. And you've kind of touched a couple of times on this topic of, you call it like guilty by association. I'll call it maybe like credibility by association. Yeah, validation, right? It's like a very real impact that community builders have that I've been aware of this since I started running a conference. Just like by running a conference, I get to connect with people who come on stage that would never have talked to me otherwise. But because I'm inviting them to a conference, it puts me in a place of credibility. And now the audience associates me and CMX and the brand we're building with those people. Mm -hmm. And community, I think, is a really powerful way to do that. If You have to do it authentically. But to say, like, we're building this community and go to people who have a very strong existing reputation or affinity and bring them in you're both giving your community access to those people and you are tapping into the trust and credibility that that person has. It kind of spreads into your brand and your community as well. 100%, man. And I've heard it defined as um, content networking. Content networking. (laughs) Right? Like networking by creating content, which I think is real, right? But to me, the main strategy, the thing that makes it drive community is that what separates all of it is whether or not you're creating content audience in like everybody normally does, right? Like you think, what does my audience want? And I'm going to make some content and I'm going to wait to see if they like it as opposed to creating it relationship out. And by making it a live show, not only do you get the content networking thing of the person that you have on stage, by the way, works in a live event too, right? Like it's the same thing. It's a talk show format or a a panel with Q&A, right? As long as what you are doing is actually your purpose, is to not just make content that you think is going to make you look good, but to drive interactions with people and then showcase in the content that relationship building and that interaction and that knowledge exchange that Mm. doesn't necessarily need to be you, then this relationship out content stuff really works. And then when you repurpose it, it's relationship building at scale. It's not just Mm. multiplying content, right? Like you're multiplying that propinquity that you feel. Mm, that's interesting. So it's, I know what you're talking about when you talk about like, let's say recording, let's say it's a live event and you record the Q&A kind of like Gary V does. You get the shot of the person asking the question. You get the shot of Gary answering the question. He yep. looks super smart and important and 
because he's on stage and someone random's asking him a question. Good for him. Yeah. But you just touched on something that's interesting. It's like capturing interactions that are happening that may or may not even have to do with you, the person on stage, yeah. and then turning that into content. Do you have an example of what that looks like that would translate into valuable content? Yeah, man. You know, what that looks like is if Gary V wasn't just Gary V answering his questions, if he was like, I'm going to put David Spinks on to talk about community and what he shares on his Instagram account isn't Gary answering a question. It's David Spinks going back and forth with somebody else for something that Gary ended up learning and just being selfless about putting somebody else on your feed. Got it. And that to me is the kind of like the ultimate piece. And if all three can get into the conversation, even better, right? Like that's the ultimate piece of content. Right. Well, and when we talk about someone like Gary, we're talking about someone who's like very, very intentionally investing in their own personal brand, Mm -hmm. not (laughs) arguably not building community. It's building an audience, which (laughs) I'll have another debate with Gary on that one day. But when we're talking about it from a community perspective, what you're talking about is really highlighting the experts who exist in your community, giving them an opportunity to share their expertise and capturing that exchange, capturing that knowledge and being able to turn that into content. Yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is essentially having a stage and not trying to be the star of the stage, but being the stage. Sure. Yeah. Which is... Your brand, right? Which is the name of my company. Yeah, be the stage. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. And I'm curious. So the relationship flywheel, you kind of described it at length. Is there like a specific kind of step-by-step process that you can condense into to make it easy for someone to understand? Yeah. Yeah. It's value, connections, and content, right? The value piece is really understanding what's valuable to the people that you're trying to serve outside of just what you're trying to sell them, (laughs) right? So there's a whole ecosystem of stuff that is tangentially related to whatever your client or the person that you're trying to get close to, whoever you're trying to serve cares about. And that's why they care about your thing because it's part of something else. So first step is to figure out what that is, right? Like what I call the content pillars for JWB for my client, figure out what those pillars are of what else people care about. Once you have inventory of that, take inventory of the people that can serve up that value in your network, in your clientele, at arm's length, at within your industry, within your company, whatever, within your community. And then at that point, then you go into the stage piece, which could be that the weekly webinar, the internet talk show, it could be a real event, right? Like it could be a monthly recurring event where you're just bringing somebody to talk to your community. And then once that's happening, once that actual like exchange is happening, focusing on four connections. One, is you with the person that you're hosting, right? That's that intimate connection that you're building. That's a high-level partnership that you're creating, being guilty by association, as I like to say. The other one is you with the audience, right? Be speaking directly to the audience, not just to the person on stage, goffing and gawing all over them, but turning to them and asking for feedback and getting as much participation as possible, speaking to them directly. On a Zoom call, it always starts with like, ah, tell me where you're from, like chime in, right? Like I want to know. And whenever anybody says something, acknowledge it and say their name. Right. Then the third connection is audience to guest. So when someone asks a question, don't just take their question and say, all right, so what are the three things to do this? Be like, oh, either allow them to ask it and allow them to introduce themselves or introduce themselves. Right. Oh man, David Spinks is in San Francisco. He's a community expert. He's got a question for you, Gary. It's this, right? Like creating that introduction. And then fourth is the connection between the people and the audience. So if somebody gives something good, call it out and say, oh, connect with that. That dude knows what's up. Right. Like just. It's just the acknowledgement of everybody else, regardless of who everybody is connecting to. So that's what's happening in the moment of the stage happening and something happening on the stage, the content being produced. 
And then the final piece is the repurposing, right? And if you're driving those four connections while you're creating the content, making it relationship out content, then when you repurpose it, it plays better. People own it, right? Like if I had you on my show to talk about you and introduce you to other people, you're more likely to share it as opposed to have you on there to just validate me and give me a, a half an hour testimonial. If you're in the audience and you make it onto the micro content, right? Like I've seen Gary speak multiple times. I always ask a question because I know I'm going to make it onto his podcast, right? Like, <laughs> And then if you're doing that and you're repurposing those pieces with the people in it, that isn't only you, they're going to be really pumped when you tag them and they're likely to share it and they're likely to comment on it and interact. And somebody else that sees them is going to be like, oh my God, you know that dude? Cool. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're in your web and it continues to grow. So it's those three like value connections and content. As long as you start with like the service mentality of the value piece and really understanding what, apart from just you, you have to offer, who else can offer that value, put them on that stage, drive those connections and repurpose. That's basically the simple answer. So, and one thing you said earlier was like, you repurpose content, you create content. Ultimately, there's a call to action to build that community. Let's call it the asynchronous part of the community, the Facebook group, forum, message yeah. board, whatever. Yeah. I'm curious to get your take on... Once they're in that community, how do you bring them back into the other parts of the flywheel, right? Because it's like, okay, you attended this event, now join the community, great, you're in the community. Are you like promoting things in the community? Do you allow for promotions in the community spaces that you run that are kind of re-engaging them in all the other parts? Yeah, it's again, it's being the stage, right? So the community itself is a stage two, right? So it's not just my client posting things, everything that we're posting in there and what we're trying to do is get people to speak up about whatever expertise or whatever passion they have. And once you can identify that, then be like, oh, would you like to be on the show? Would you like Mm. to have an event, right? Yeah, Sangram does this really, really well in his, Sangram Badger does this really, really well in Peak Community. He's, whenever that community identifies anybody that has something to say, the community manager immediately reaches out. like, would you like to make a presentation about this? Yeah. Right. So it's that, man. To me, that's the most valuable thing. It's having a main content stream and then having a minor content stream that's inside the community that is for the people of the community to be able to be on like the step up stage. And if they do well enough, then they can go up to the big stage. And totally. in everything I know of human dynamics, there's nothing more powerful than a cool club. Right. So like, how can I get to that cool club? That motivates a lot of people to like stick around and be a part of that. And other people like to support the cool club, right? Like you give people their roles of what they fit into in different echelons of like how many stages you can come up and you can stay at the one that you want. And we're always going to be providing value kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. And a lot of your work now is focused in the B2B space, focused on businesses. I'm also curious to get your take on a challenge that I've seen companies have, and we've even had, where there's definitely need to be very authentic in how you build a community and just give and give and give and give and give value. How do you make that transition from community engagement, from building community into ultimately making the ask to buy our product? I think that when people are thinking about if they're going to do business with you, they ask themselves three fundamental questions. Does this interest me? Can I trust this person? And is this for me? If you can continually provide Does this interest me? That's the value piece, right? Do I trust this person? Depends on how often you show up and how you show up and they're going to make that decision. Is this for me? Is by providing those cross-contextualizations, right? Like the other people asking the question that may be the exact question that you had or the other person that looks like you asking that question. If you provide enough of that stuff, I find that people enroll, man. Like you don't have to ask, they enroll. I would push back on that, right? Because like, 
to some extent, yes, you'll have that's the ideal scenario, right? You build this like incredible ecosystem and people love your community and they love your product so much and they just are signing up organically. Mm-hmm. But for most businesses, especially in the B2B space, they'll have a pretty large sales force yeah. whose job it is to like make sure that deals are getting closed, especially when you're looking at things with like really large contract sizes. And so like most products still require a certain level of selling because maybe people didn't realize they needed yet at that time or yeah. they're still price sensitive and need to have their hand held through that process. So I find that there needs to be that transition into like, okay, we're we having a sales conversation now or like, is there a sales opportunity? But that's yeah. a hard transition for a lot of community people to manage. You're right, man. You're right. Listen, the true answer is that I'm not a sales guy either, right? I see the role as how can I provide enough of everything that I just said? That whole, do I, is this interesting to me? Do I trust this person? And is it for me as I can? And then my client ultimately decides what that handoff needs to be. And I'm always going to push towards long game and relationship instead of transaction, Mm -hmm. while most clients are going to push towards transaction. And and at some point in there, it lands, right? But luckily... The reason why I call my podcast the B2B Community Builder Podcast is because I want people coming in from the standpoint of like, yeah, community would be nice to have. Like, I want that to be in their frontal cortex as they're doing this. I don't do business with people that are like, I need you to bring me leads, (laughs) right? Like, that's not what we're out here doing. That the lead was a community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they're genuinely interested in it, then their sales programs, maybe you don't have a great salesperson every once in a while, that's a bad apple, but... Their sales programs are designed around that type of stuff. And they're usually, like you said, bigger deals. So it really just has to make sense too. Yeah, I think it's a fair point that like the community person doesn't have to be the salesperson. And it's the salesperson's job to authentically make that ask in a way that's like trust-driven. And in theory, if we do our jobs really well of building community and delivering a ton of value, by the time the salesperson is ever making an ask and having that conversation, there is a lot of built-up trust in the brand and the people who represent that brand. yeah, And the hope is that you're working with a sales team that understands that and will be mindful and human-centric in their outreach and not, not too pushy to the extent that you like lose the trust that you just work so hard to gain. Yeah. And I would also say on the other side, people are smart, man. Like if you, if, like nobody wants to get on a call with a salesperson unless they're really close to buying anyways. Sure. So if you're providing the customer the ability to find out everything they ever needed to know in those three kind of like things without ever getting on a salesperson, they're just not going to take the salesperson's call or answer their email unless they're ready to be asked something, right? So to me, it's like, at the end of the day, this thing really drives sales velocity because by the time they actually get on a call with a salesperson who they know is going to ask them something, they're getting on purposefully, right? Like there's no... We're not hoodwinking anybody into taking a sales call out here, you know? Yeah. I think there is an opportunity to... I think for community teams, I think that are working in the B2B space, there's an opportunity to improve that transition and think about how to make that transition from give, 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 or going back to Gary, the jab, 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 right hook, right? It's like, how do you make the transition into making that ask in a way that doesn't feel intrusive and isn't like a sudden, we'll make someone feel like it's a bait and switch or like, oh, this is why you've been giving me value this whole time. I mean, to your point, people are smart. They also like, when they join a business's community, they know that it's a business that is hoping that people buy their product one day. 
But also from like a data standpoint and just like, what are the things that we can learn from how people participate in our communities that better educate whether or not someone is ready for an ask and is a good fit for the product, right? Like the concept of community qualified leads is something I think a lot about. And how do we translate community activity into ways of verifying that someone's a good fit for the product? I'll tell you the KPI that we drive, the number one KPI that we look at is repeat attendees to the live show. Right. <laughs> like if you come multiple times and you're being shown, here's the link to talk to somebody. If you see something you like, by the time they get on, they're there, man. Yeah. You know, like that to me is the number one metric to look at is how often are you interacting in person? How often are you taking time out of your day to show up live? That means that you really are taking ownership of what's happening here. And you really do want to be guilty by association with people, right? Everything yeah. else around it just kind of like waterfalls into that KPI. Mm-hmm. And we judge it by sales, man. We judge it by, we track with the sales team and whatnot. We track, have you been part? Of, well, we track the show based on webinar registration, right? But like, we always ask, we build into the sales cadence, like how much of this stuff have you taken a part of? And after you do it a couple of times, everybody's a part of it. It's affecting everybody. And the first metric that we were tracking is, how many guests of the show that were already clients became repeat clients? Because mm-hmm. that's another thing, right? Like it's like you can have served somebody so well a couple of years ago and they forgot that you do a bunch of other stuff. And then all of a sudden you activate them again with a value offering of I'm going to promote you to all my friends. And a lot of them end up saying, oh, you know what? I didn't realize that you also do this. Yeah, I want it. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the low hanging fruit to start tracking. And then after that, it just becomes repeat attendance and repeat participation and activation and always always be looking for those people that have that personality that actually want to be ambassadors, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I just had a thought too that like, I think a, a big philosophy that we have with CMX and Bevy is that when you phrase it, be the stage, you can also empower your members in your community to be stages in their own right. Yeah. And so taking the federated approach of empowering people to self-organize their own live shows, their own communities, their own live events. For CMX, we have a program like that. We see Salesforce with Trailblazer program, Duolingo with their events, like empowering your community to self-organize. Now they become these stages for people to share their influence. And all of that becomes more content that now you can do at extreme scale because you can have a thousand chapters. 100%. 100%. And your platform is built for that, right? Like your platform is built to, or at least Bevy is, right? Like Bevy is empowered to like, it's made for those multiple chapter kind of things. And at that point, you're crushing it, man, right? Like we just started seeing this, right? Like I started this company early 2019. It took me about six months to get a client. It took me about six months to figure out actually what I'm doing here. Sure. So my oldest client now, literally people from their community are having meetups that are not your average investor meetups. Right, right, right. right. And it's not driven by us. And it's amazing. Well, we also say that it takes a long time to see ROI from community. I'm curious to get your take actually on this. How long when you work with a client and based on what you've seen so far, how long does it take from like kicking off a community program to starting to see business results? When you track it based on how can you reactivate clients that you think are low-hanging fruit, takes about till Q2. So like six months. Yeah, it took us about midway through Q2. We started seeing people that were like, man, we haven't heard from this person in forever. We had them on the show. All of a sudden, they're buying another property. They're doing other things. They're giving us private lending. We start to see it right around Q2 based on that relationship out tactic, right? Right, right. It's probably around end of Q3 that you start seeing the audience and stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Got it. 
Yeah, so six, nine months about, that's yeah. kind of what I always see is like six to 12 months is about how yeah. long you should yeah. expect before you start to see ROI on community programs because it takes time to build those relationships. It takes time. And you want people to come back to multiple events and you have to host multiple events over time. Yeah, at least the ideal cadence meant, you know, like I think COVID helped it all out by de-weirding Zoom stuff, right? So it's true. now it's true. what used to be like a big effort that you thought you had to do it in person and you could only do it once a month or once a quarter because of the man- monumental lifts, you can have very low friction weekly events. It's not a big deal. Yeah. How often are you doing events? Weekly. Weekly? So our cadence is weekly for our clients, right? Because it. it's just, like I said, you can have six people show up or 16 or 60. It's still sure. six hours to 60 hours that you saved of like spending time with somebody that felt like they got time with you. And there's totally, nothing totally. more to relationships than spending time together, right? Is there a number of repeat events that you look for in order to qualify them as like a sales lead? No, not yet. Okay. We're actually starting to like really track that stuff. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear could share later. Yeah, like how many events do you usually see as like that becomes a point where you qualify them or when they actually end up becoming a customer or repeat customer? Yeah, that's a really good one, Chad. We're probably going to start diving into that stuff for sure. Yeah, I like it. Cool, man. And I guess last question, just where do you see all this going? What do you think is the future for B2B communities? I think the future of B2B is digital giants and companies that have created their own communities. <laughs> like It's the only, like it's going to be your retail, you're either Amazon or you got a community. If you're something else, there's going to be all that, right? Like I think attention... You don't think the Amazons would have community? I mean, Amazon has community, right? Like Amazon, I guess, I don't know, man. I think there is communities of sellers on Amazon, but they all hate Amazon. <laughs> like, so I don't know. But I do think that everything's going to get consolidated, man. I think everything that you want and can be offered to you at some point, I'm going to have like a Tesla, you know, like uh, contact lens in. And I'm going to be like, dude, that's a sweet sweatshirt he's got on in my head. And my pupil dilates a little bit. And all of a sudden, I'm going to get offered all these sweatshirts online at different prices or whatever. I'm going to be talking to my friend. I'm going to be like, oh, my boss was such a jerk today. And boom, I get all these offers of jobs. So I just think it's going to be a growing chasm between who can be the biggest, most efficient, at scale productor of everything and who can get out there and make sure that they're building communities, no matter how big or small they are. Like I said, it's that Catholic church narrative, man. Like I honestly, I was done with the Catholic church multiple times in my life. At that funeral, I decided, what, this parish right here, I'm never going to like turn my back on these people, right? I'm always going to give money to Monsignor O'Doherty because of this value that it provided for me. So I think it's going to become more and more important. It's going to be an existential crisis at a certain point when real AI and all this stuff really just becomes a complete commodity. And in the next 12 months, I think it's becoming more and more obvious. Like it's like a runaway train of this stuff happening. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is there's going to be a lot of consolidation, a lot of big companies that try to do it all. And community is going to be a way that smaller companies, startups are able to differentiate themselves and provide an experience that the big companies never could because there's no way they could build intimate community in the same way. Correct. And you say startups, man, but I'm literally talking about those people that I was in the Chamber of Commerce with, right? Like I'm talking about the commercial realtor fighting against the Zillow for commercial realty. I'm talking about the insurance broker. To me, that's the simplicity of this, like, right? Like you work with these big companies that have these big budgets for a community program. Like I think the simplicity of having a weekly event and making that drive whatever you're doing, you can save money on however many salespeople you're going to need and invest a little bit of that money as the small business owner into Mm -hmm. providing these events. Like I think restaurants can do this. To me, 
this can go as small as you want right? because you can always provide value to people that you're doing stuff with through the people that you know. You can always do that. I love that. And most of your clients are small businesses or indie entrepreneurs? Medium-sized, man. It's like 10 to 100 million, right? Got it. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, we are getting to the end of the episode, which means it is time for the rapid fire question round. I'll ask questions and you'll... I love a rapid fire, man. I really need a sound effect for this. You're not the first person to do that. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you questions and you'll answer them in 30 seconds or less. Pablo, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, let's do it. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would that food be? Arepas. So I'm Venezuelan. Arepas only. Yeah, yeah. Like my wife and I I make really, really good arepas, man. Like that's all I want. All right. We're coming over for arepas. Please. Hey, that's my one move to impress somebody is have you over for arepas. That's like my number one move. That's your power move? I would love to impress you. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. All right. What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others or to recommend to others? Yeah. So business book, Play Bigger. That thing blew my mind. And category Mm. creation, I think, is the most important discipline anybody needs to learn in business. And as far as personal book, Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck is like the book that I go to the woodshed with whenever I'm having a hard time. So anybody... Anytime I see somebody having a hard time, I give them that one. Awesome. I'll have to read that. I haven't read that one yet. All right. You're an occasional podcast rapper. I listened to one of your episodes where you broke out into a little freestyle there. I was surprised and impressed. (laughs) Who is your favorite rapper and why? Outcast. Outcast is like, you'll see him behind me, right? Like Outcast is the Beatles to me. And if you got to make me pick one, I've really struggled with this, but I'm going to go with Big Boy because he is, at this point, Andre has like done a million other things and Big Boy literally put out a solo CD two years ago that's as good as my favorite Outcast CDs from back in the day. So I'm just really impressed with his staying power. All right. Love it. All right. In one minute or less, share your wildest community story. Oh, man. I struggle with this one. I've just had so many serendipitous moments, man. Like, like I, I would say speaking at your summit, man, right? Like Because I'm part of this Associations of Influencers and Thought Leaders, and I was part of David Berkowitz Serial Marketers, I saw you speak. I saw Marie in the chat. I could tell that she was moderating. I was like, I love what you guys are doing. This is really super cool. And I wanted to like find out more. I just so happened to be speaking at one of my communities, this associations of influencers and thought leaders coming up about this strategy. So she saw that and she invited me to be on your summit. And now I'm guilty by association with Seth Godin. I think that's pretty freaking great. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Seems like we're doing something right then. Yeah, for sure. All right. What's a go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities other than inviting people over for our bus? Share your stage, man. My go-to tactic is like, oh, you want the mic? Hold it, bro. Like that to me is like the ultimate engagement. Give you ownership about it. How do you do that in an online community well? Like a Facebook group or message board, how do you give people the mic in a way that's effective? Because we're all trying to get people to like share their expertise. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get people to do that. Do you have a way of kind of framing it that makes them really feel valued and important when they do that? Yeah, I'm really good at flattering people. <laughs> so, sure. so it's that. And and if they're worried about doing it by themselves, you give them an MC, man. It's much easier to create content that's valuable in a conversation than it is giving a presentation. So it's mm-hmm. like, dude, don't worry about it. Like do AMA, yeah, do an interview, yeah. AMA, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, just come on stage. I'm going to talk to you about you, bro. You know, that's it. I like it. Random follow-up question. What's the key to flattering someone? I think it's just my superpower, man. Like I I really think my superpower is that I fall in love with everybody I meet and I'm a really good communicator, right? So that's why I built this business, right? Like when I was starting this business, I heard this quote of 
if you're going to build a business around anything other than something that you're really good at, that you love doing, driving the business, if you're not going to do that, go get a job. So I really had to figure out a way to build a business around the fact that I fall in love with everybody I meet and I'm a really good communicator. <laughs> so I'm a hype man. Yeah. So yeah. it just comes naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any like themes or trends that you picked up from like all the conversations or relationships that you're like, people really resonate when I bring up this part of their life or I should ask this question to learn something meaningful about them? So my number one conversation starter is what brings you here, right? Instead of what do you do or anything else? Because that kind of opens it up to mm. give you some kind of like, what are your incentives, totally. right? That's the key is figure out what motivates yeah. you and then align with it or figure out where you can align with it. Got it. And then the other two things is vulnerability and adding value are the two ways to drive connection, right? Like the vulnerability thing, I learned from Brene Brown. That works really, really well. Totally. And if you can share a vulnerability first, people will open up to you. And then if you can figure out a way to do something for someone, they're going to like you, man. Well said. All right, next question. Very important one. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? <sighs> no. No. And I want no. to because in Outcast, they're like, there's my favorite song, ATL is like flip-flops and swaks and sweatpants. But in the Hispanic culture, wearing like flip-flops out is like a no-go, right? So when I went to college yeah. and I came home wearing flip-flops, my mom's like, what are you doing? Like, you're not going out of the house like that, right? So I'm very disincentivized to wear flip-flops or sandals. Understood. Well, maybe one day in, in private, we won't tell your family. We'll have our epas and we'll wear socks with sandals. You'll get to experience it. Dude, if we could do that with David, we'd be we'd be best friend. <laughs> yeah, I do it with slides though. Yeah, Flip flops, that bothers me. Seeing like <laughs> the sock get it, like folded in between your toes. Yeah. No, not okay. All right. Who in the world of community would you most like to take out for lunch? Does Gary V count, man? Like, I think you might have a position on this that he's not really driving community, but I think he is, right? Like, I think everything he's doing in his Discord now with the NFTs and with his people, like, I think Gary V really is a person that wants you to connect to the people around him. And that makes him a community builder in my eyes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've known Gary for a very, very long time and have followed his work for a long time. I've learned a ton from him, a lot of respect for him, some criticisms, but he's a person in the spotlight. So it's hard to not have some criticism. Does he build community? Historically, I have not seen a ton where he's connecting people to each other. I think he's very good at connecting to people. And I think he is very good at bringing value to people and helping them. And I think those people might feel connected to each other as fans of his, mm -hmm. but it's more of a fan base than a community. I don't know exactly what he's doing with Discord. I know he's like big in NFTs and yeah. that's a whole world of community that's we're all learning a lot about together. Yeah. So yeah, there's potentially he's building community around the NFTs because the way to be successful with NFTs is to build community around them. So... Perhaps. You probably know him better than I do, right? But I've had a couple of like social interactions with him. And the times that I've had him with him, it's been very much like I come into the conversation and he's immediately wanting to include me to the other person in the conversation, right? Like that. Sure. It's only been twice, right? But like that to me is, I don't know, man, that's how I self-identify with it. That's right. right. Like you're, but I think you're like a PhD in community and I'm like a high school graduate out here. <laughs> I don't, that's not true. Just different experiences, different yeah. angles. That's true. Yeah. He does in person, in the moment, you know, he does like to connect. He likes to be listened to as well, but he likes to connect people too. I think it's an opportunity for him that is untapped actually, because he has built such a movement of this fan base and this yeah. ideology. I think he could build more community at scale of connecting people that goes beyond the in the moment introductions yeah. and in inclusion into like, how do we help people all, like all these entrepreneurs and builders and creators that he helps and inspires? How does he 
create an ecosystem where now they can all be bringing more value to each other. I think it's this NFT project. And I think he was waiting for exactly for it to show up for him in a way that it would be authentic to him. And now he's bought into it because he didn't want to buy into something that he didn't wholeheartedly believe in. That's my take. Mm. All right. All right. Enough Gary Vitok. Enough. Enough. (laughs) All right. Next question. What's a community product you wish existed? Dude, I'm going to throw it out there. I think the ultimate thing for... Right. So like I've got this one move that I know works. Right. And I think the ultimate software to pull this off so everybody could do it is one part graphic interface that records things, one part text to video editor, right? Kind of like a descript, one part CRM, one part social media management tool, right? So that you and I can have a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, the AI goes through it and says, oh, David brought up this and this and this. You've talked to this and this person in the last 90 days that care about that stuff. And this person likes video, this person likes text. Do you want to send this person the transcription clip? you want to send this person the video clip? And then similarly, like all the way around what I say and what you say and looking through my CRM and then similarly scanning through the conversation saying, on LinkedIn, you like to talk about this. Do you want to post that video? On Instagram, you like to talk about this. Do you want to post that quote card? Whatever, right? So Mm -hmm. like I think one tool that does those four pieces that's driven for (laughs) relationship out content is inevitably going to happen one day. And I've heard little people put little parts of it together, but not the whole piece. And I hope that I can be the one that does that. But if somebody else has got it, that's why I'm giving out for free, man. I want to use it. That would be magic. Yeah. Or I mean, even just the one piece of like, imagine if there was the live event that would immediately give you an interface where you could take that live event and chop it up, automatically add transcription to it. So you have subtitles and then you can like post directly to social accounts or these different places, the specific pieces from that content, like something that makes the repurposing of it really easy without having an editor, basically. Yeah. So far, the tool for repurposing is the script, man. And we've created this incredible process to like really maximize that thing that I'm happy to share with you, man. It really makes it easy. Pretty sure that's what we use for our transcriptions for the podcast as well. Cool. Yeah, love it. All right, next question. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? (laughs) I don't know the answer to that, man. I guess the weirdest thing I can come up with is uh, I was really obsessed with this one surfboard shape that's called the Mini Simmons. That's like if you like cut a longboard into like a five foot two thing. And I joined this like Facebook group of guys that were obsessed with building their own Mini Simmons. (laughs) And I got really, really into it, even though I never built it myself. That's kind of weird, I guess. I love that. Yeah. Weird is like the same thing as just extremely niche. <laughs> yeah. 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 Super niche. Because like, what's the most random part of the community internet that you found? Okay. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and had to condense all of your life lessons into one piece of advice on how to live, what would that advice be? It is more valuable for you to try to be a kingmaker instead of trying to be a king. It is more valuable for you to try to be a kingmaker than a king. So help other people become kings. Yeah. And you'll get more value. If you're trying to be king, you're competing against everybody that wants to be king. If you're trying to be a kingmaker, everybody that wants to be king wants to be your friend. I like that. Well said. (laughs) Thanks, man. All right. And where should people go to continue to learn from you, find your podcast, find all the great work you're doing? Yeah. The B2B Community Builder Show. Right. We got a great... I don't know when this episode's coming out, man, but I got an awesome... My B2B Community Builder Show is mostly asynchronous podcast, but every like month or twice a month, I'm trying to build it into my schedule. I do the live event, right? And the next one coming up is with Park Howell, who is the master of like business storytelling. And he's teaching this like storytelling framework called the ABT that's super, super powerful. So that's going to happen on September 13th. I would love to have people show up to that. Follow me on LinkedIn, right? 
Pablo Gonzalez on LinkedIn is like trying to find John Smith and whatever, but I'm sure you're going to link to it. But if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I'd love to have you come to one of these live shows and experience it yourself and hit me up. I want to be your friend. I legitimately want to be friends with you if you're listening to this right now. Loves everyone he meets. So that was not a lie. He actually wants to meet you. And yes, we will include all your links in the show notes so you can all find and follow there. Pablo, appreciate you, man. You're doing great work. It's really cool to hear your whole journey and your experience and You bring a very fresh and unique angle from most of the people I've spoken to on this podcast, most people doing this work in the industry, both in terms of the kinds of companies that you've worked with and that you're working with. And your journey to come to community is quite unique. And you can tell that you're just leading with a ton of authentic passion. And this is, I think you found the thing that you're really good at and that you love to do and you're doing it, man. So much respect. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us today. Man, I can't tell you how much that validation means to me. I very much feel like an imposter in this world, right? Like I feel like I parachuted into this whole like thing because I just like to make friends with people. And what you're doing, David, to me is there's nothing more important than that, right? Like you're doing this community creation stuff at scale. You're like the archetype that I want to be like as far as the way you clearly show up with service and to take a shot on me to be at your event and put me on like, the biggest stage of community when I'm, I think I'm an imposter, but I, I do think I have something. And then you to tell me that this is truly valuable really, really means the world to me, man. So I really, really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and be your friend and the opportunity to be on your stage and hopefully grow this relationship from here, man. Thanks, man. And make arepas for you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I make arepas while wearing sandals with socks. <laughs> sliders and socks. That's right. That's right. Sliders and socks. All right, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.